Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. Today, we are seven days out from the midterm, 2018 midterm elections. Uh, things are moving very quickly. There's obviously a huge amount at stake. We are going to look a little bit at the sort of the big national stuff, but we have a very interesting guest today. His name is Daniel Squadron. He's a former New York State legislator who has an – who. Um, is the executive director of an organization that focuses on state legislative races. And I think a lot of us know that state legislative races are these sort of unsexy political contact uh, contests that nonetheless have a huge amount of impact, not only on the federal government, but just on people's lives. So, you know, why did your state not have Medicaid expansion? Well, because Republicans run the state legislature. Why is there lead in your uh, water? And why is your state gerrymandered? So it's a 50-50 state, but, but you know, 10 out of the 11 representatives uh, come from districts that are gerrymandered for Republicans. Think, you know, on and on and on. These things are very, are really critical. And uh, there has been a public conversation among Democrats that during the Obama years, Democrats lost over 900 legislative seats across the country. Now, I think Obama has, my personal sense, has sort of unfairly been saddled with that, that it was, you know, kind of he wasn't paying attention or something like that. It goes, it goes much deeper than that. But a lot of Democrats have understood that this is a big deal, and this kind of ground level organizing is is really critical. Um, but even you know, I do this I do this uh, <laughs> for a living, and you know, I probably couldn't name a dozen state legislative state legislators around the country. That's like pitiful, except for the ones that I. Um have seen in the headlines getting indicted. I'm not sure I could right, really no. name any, actually. <laughs> exactly. The, the ones I know about are the ones that, uh, you know, got in a sex scandal right. or, um, you know, had a, uh, a, a, a you know, a, some terrible racist thing that they did or something like that. Um, that sort of makes sense. But these things are, we all know it's important um, sort of, certainly people who, who are interested in progressive politics and sort of, you know, focus on politics, but few of us know the details. And so we're going to talk about the details. And uh, it's, it's a fascinating story. I mean, both we're, we're going to talk about a little bit about the work this group is doing, but a lot of it is just uh, Daniel knows kind of the details, like which are the states that are closest to uh, having a, a one of the houses of the state legislature flip, which are the ones that are, you know, reaches, all that kind of stuff. We're going to dig into those details. Um, David, what is, we're, we're seven days out, 
and like like when we talked last week, you know, you and your team are kind of you know watching the TVs and seeing all the news sort of unfolding over time. What what do you what 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 do you see in like yesterday today? What's yeah. sort of bubbling? I would think. I mean, obviously today Trump came out in this interview with Axio saying that he wants to end birthright citizenship. It really seems like immigration is his closing message for the yeah. midterms, and it's that's kind of been a constant throughout the last year, I mean, throughout his whole presidency, yeah, basically, right? Yeah, he started his and, um, campaign, you yeah. know, Mexican rapists exactly. and all that stuff. So other, other than the, the the bomb threat scares that we saw over the last couple of weeks and obviously the horrific shooting massacre this weekend, that that's obviously flavoring the coverage. That's maybe not the best word to use, but um, influencing it and impacting it. But really, immigration seems to be the dominant theme here going to the end. And it's interesting because, you know, when we... we focus a lot on watching uh, cable news TV it's right. sort of like the soundtrack of, of, of American politics I think one of the one of the big questions that's going to come out that we're gonna learn the answer to in seven days is everything we hear about what is happening in districts is that Democrats are a hundred percent focused on health care Right, pre-existing conditions, um, Obamacare, all these d- different and you know, kind of things. You know, it's funny. Is Trump had a speech at the CDC? I want to say last week, maybe it got almost no coverage at all. I mean, he was sort of trying to flirt, I think, with making healthcare sort right. of an well, issue. Is that the thing where they he they did? Uh, I guess a law was passed. It, it, they're trying to do something on the reimportation of prescription drugs, right. which is something that. Democrats have supported for years, and it's been it's been um, bottled up by opposition from the pharmaceutical industry and 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 the Republican Party. Um, so I, I think that's kind of the question: is is this you know Trump can dominate the sort of the the national political conversation right. just by the size of his megaphone? Yeah, totally. Um, and so the 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 question is. Is that really what people are focusing on in you know districts around the country, or is right. it only kind of you know his people? And and you know it's funny when you when you said about the uh, you know the the mail bombs and this massacre at the synagogue over the weekend. You know it's not immigration and that. You know the guy who stormed that synagogue was he's obviously a hardened anti-Semite of long standing, but what pushed him over the edge was were these conspiracy theories that Jews are and George Soros are funding this caravan right. and wanna, you know, kind of uh displace white people right. with dark skinned people for I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, so these things are these things are and decided to uh, target a baby naming ceremony which is just Yeah, it it's these things are are beyond imagining um but anyway off to brighter things we're yeah. gonna we're gonna we're gonna uh talk about state legislative races i'm gonna before we do that i'm gonna talk about grady's cold brew ice coffee and i'm i'm, I'm this is an experiment going off script one of our favorite things yeah. so so th- i'm just gonna do a personal testimonial because you know i actually well not just i that 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 the tpm office uh, it sort of lives on Grady's cold brew <laughs> ice coffee. We do, um, yeah, and everybody everybody drinks it, and it's 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 totally amazing. Um, it's it is uh, 
run out of, you know, it's it's a company that is runs out of New York City. That's right. It was born in Brooklyn and it's brewed in the Bronx. Yeah, remember that from the thing. So if you're if you're interested in in Grady's, go to Grady'sColdBrew.com. And the promo code is TPM. You get twenty percent off uh, your purchase when you're you know the holidays. The purchase. holidays are coming up. Yeah, perfect time to stock up yeah. for the love loved ones in your yeah, life. Yeah, no, totally. It's really good stuff. And remember, they they sponsor the Josh Marshall podcast, so you know, send them a little business. Uh, everybody everybody's happy, and it's it's the, the reality is we, we drink this stuff, and it's it's I I drink no other. I've got Grady's at a little bit of Grady's at home. I've got Grady's in the office. Yeah. So no matter yeah. where you are, it's, it's yeah, not far. We're, we're like we're 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 basically part of a Grady's called <laughs> Um So anyway, we are going to talk with Daniel Squadron, who again is is a an 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 ex former New York State legislator who is an expert on state legislative races across the country. Okay, so uh, Daniel, we we have been. In talking about the midterms, it's been this big thing for Democrats. They know in general that Democrats lost, I guess, upwards of a thousand state legislative seats over the course of the Obama years. And that has had all sorts of, um, not, you know, very, for de- for Democrats, very damaging knock-on effects in, in recent years. You're working on changing that. So first of all, tell us about your group. Like, what are you, what are you guys doing? Sure, for Democrats and for the country, yep. I think we would. Yeah, argue. good point. But, good point. Uh, so I, I'm the founder, a co-founder, along with Adam Pritzker and Jeff Sachs of a PAC called Future Now Fund, and Future Now Fund is focused entirely on winning back state legislatures, uh, both inspire both by winning inspiring races with great candidates, but also by actually changing the direction of these legislative chambers. Uh, I was in the state senate in New York, both in the majority and the minority, and let me tell you, uh, even great. Uh, elected officials in the minority can't have the impact we need to uh, change the country, change the democracy. Now, when you say changing directions, do you mean that more than just moving a chamber from like Republican to Democratic control, but also changing the sort of the composition of that of that Democratic majority? So they're more uh, activist, more, you know, what, what do you mean by that? Well, first of all, to change the balance of a majority, you know, in North Carolina, for example, if you break the Republican supermajority in the House, you'll empower Democratic Governor Roy Cooper. So, you know, supermajorities matter. The right. as we saw in Virginia, you know, being within one seat can mm-hmm. get Medicaid expanded, even if right. you're in the minority. Right. right. But it does also mean really uh, sort of the other piece of our program, which is. Uh, nonprofit called Future Now that's all about an agenda that shows just the potential that state legislatures have and and don't reach nearly often enough. So whether you're talking about wages or health care or energy and the environment or clean water or equal rights or fighting back against the Trump court, which is Mm -hmm. now going to be in place for a generation, God forbid, uh, states actually have the power and the potential to do that. So we're also talking about legislatures taking on this agenda. We call it America's Goals. It's where Professor Jeff Sachs came into this piece. And it's really about the fact that states are tools of federal power. Right. You wouldn't have a Republican congressional majority but for partisan gerrymandering. You wouldn't have Donald Trump winning the Electoral College if you had top-tier voting laws across the country. But it's also they're also tools of improving people's lives, which is what really mostly changes the democracy over time. Right. So okay. So you know I, you know I'll be, <laughs> I'll be like I know all that, and yet and yet like a lot of people, 
who I think every, a lot of active Democrats, people interested in po- all that kind of stuff, they know what you just said in general. And yet outside of New York State, where I can like name like maybe on one hand the state legislature, I mean, it's embarrassing. I, outside of New York State, I, I know nothing about individual people. What are the so tell us um, we've got the election in one week. Now we're one week out. What is happening on the ground? Where are the states that where where one or both chambers may change hands? Give us an overview. What's happening? Well, first to your point about about how much even people who know this um, information is scarce. You know, I, I sort of forgot to say that among the other values in state legislatures are they're glamorous and sexy and wildly exciting right, for right, folks. Right. So obviously that's not the case. And I think that's one of the challenges, certainly for donors on the Democratic Party side who I think but it's are, also where politicians often start. I like mean, you, you, you get to the House before you go to the Senate and usually spend a little time in a state let or often. So it's a it is a it's like the farm team of future political leaders in a lot of cases. But Absolutely. Yeah. State Senator Barack Obama, you may have exactly. heard of. Yes. House Representative Sandra Day O'Connor. Yes. Um, uh, state Representative and State Senator Franklin Roosevelt and Teddy Roosevelt, or the other way around. Right, right. Uh, you may remember a, a little-known Illinois House rep named Abraham Lincoln. Yes, yes. So uh, the, it, there's no question uh, on that piece, too. But believe me, none of them were interesting when they were in the state legislature. Right, so, right, right. Uh, so, um, so the non-glamour issue is is a big one. I, th- I think it is, and the ch- and and then the other thing is is the question you asked, which is fifty states, ninety nine legislative chambers, because of course Nebraska is unicameral, uh, over seven thousand state legislators. How do you follow that? It's just That's much I'm harder write to down follow. that number because I like I I knew it had to be by you you do the math even in my simple math brain and it's got to be thousands, but I didn't know. But it's about seven thousand. Yeah, exactly. Okay, seven thousand. And um, so it's it's just really hard to follow it, you know, in sort of the horse race or or whatever sports metaphor you use that we follow national politics. Right. And so we've tried to deal with that. But your question um, was about sort of which chambers to watch. Yeah. What's happening? What's on the you know seven days out? What's the state of play? What should we be looking at? Right. So I, I think that you know if you kind of compare it to the national trend. So you know it, I, I think that there are probably there's a consensus, although correct me that. Looking at Congress, there are kind of three possible outcomes. One is Democrats come close to taking the House majority, one side or the other. Let's call it 20 to 25 seat pickup. The low end don't, don't quite take the majority, the high end barely do. Then I think there's a scenario out there that Democrats take more like 40 to 50 seats. And then there is, although maybe diminishing in people's minds, sort of the tsunami scenario, which is, you know, a 60, 70 seat flip, the equivalent of 1994, right. even more than 2010 or 2006 on the Democratic side. So in each of those, in the first scenario, which I think at this point would be considered the moderate scenario, we think there are five chambers that are likely to flip. These are chambers that don't even need, uh, in, in which the tipping point districts, those districts that are uh, the ones most likely to flip the chamber, don't even need to perform, uh, don't even need to match Hillary Clinton's performance from 2016. Okay. So you could underperform Hillary in the tipping point districts and still flip them. That's the New York State Senate here in right. New York, where fundamentally it's been a political more than an electoral problem, right. as I'm sure you know. Uh, the Colorado Senate, where just one seat has to flip. Uh, the Maine Senate with one seat. Um, and then both houses in New Hampshire. Now, are those in in the cases where it's where it's where it was just the Senate? Are those states all states where the lower chamber is already in Democratic hands? So you're kind of talking about total, you know, unified control on of the of the legislative branch if those Senates flip. 
you you are um, New Hampshire. You're talking about both houses. Right. So today, okay. both houses are in Republican control. Got it. Got it. Got and it. and you know the New Hampshire House is over 400. Right. So it's, it's almost like a little mini Congress. Right. 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 And, and often tracks very much with the Senate. So that's actually Future Now Fund is in five states this year. New Hampshire is one of them with a focus on the Senate in hopes of flipping both. Got it. Okay. So those are the ones that seem you never know, but highly likely to happen. Right. So what's the next so step then up? The next step, and again, this would you know, be a world where it's a solid Democratic majority in Congress. But so say 30, 40 seat range, something right. like that. Exactly right. In that scenario, the Minnesota House, uh, the Michigan House, and the Florida House would, um, excuse me, on the Iowa House would get added. So not Florida. Uh, no, Florida, Florida, Minnesota, Michigan, Florida, and Iowa. Got it. These are places where you actually need to flip a lot of seats. You need to flip between uh, nine and 19 seats in each of these chambers. But you only need to outperform sort of the average of the last three years, uh, last three elections, 2012, kind of the Obama performance, 2014, the state legislative performance, the last midterm, and the 2016 Hillary performance in that flipping point district. So the 19th district in the case of the Florida House, you need to outperform by less than three points. Okay. So those are ones where in a strong democratic year, that's not guaranteed, but that's not, no heroic thinking is required to get you there. It's certainly not in sort of the new world we're in. Now, the fact that we're in a world where in a midterm, which are generally not as good years for Democrats, right. we're talking about pickups as an assumption, right. I think it's something we've forgotten is a pretty extraordinary thing. Speaks right. to the president's unpopularity, the now unpopularity the, now the Florida, Florida, I feel like the Florida legislature has been in Republican hands for a couple decades, or am I totally wrong about that? Uh, I will fact check that. Okay. It is a, right. It's a... It's a uh, Considered, it was considered after redistricting in okay. 2012, unassailable. Okay. And, you know, that's true of a few of these. You know, Iowa was Democratic after redistricting, was considered unassailable. So the fact, it's sort of like Congress. Right. And so for, for, for our listeners, this is because there's there's also gerrymandering for in-state in the legislatures and in for the districts in the state, not only the congressional seats that go to the federal Congress. Uh, right. Absolutely. It's exactly uh, the same. All the problems you have in Congress, you have in the state legislature, just uh, fewer people are watching. So they're more shameless. Got it. OK. So what's the what's the reach? So the look. So, so the tsunami. Right. Right. A tide that is that we haven't seen in a couple of decades in this country. Um, you'd, you'd get the other house in Florida, both houses in Wisconsin, both houses in Arizona, both houses in Pennsylvania. And then the other houses in Arizona, Iowa, um, and even Minnesota. To give you a sense, Minnesota is the bottom of that list. There's only one seat up for election. The Minnesota Senate is not up this year. It's oh, a okay. special election. Oh, okay. And my recollection is, uh, in fact, I have here, Clinton lost by 17 points All in right, that so that's district. A, that's, so, a, that's a pretty Republican district. Right. And, and, you know, Obama did better in that district. So, you know, you're talking about an overperformance of 12.5% against the last three elections to get there. That, that's, that's the real outer level. So, okay. So y- y- you, have this, you have this group. And the, the the basic point of the group is to put money into these campaigns to make them to be able to run good campaign, blah, 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 blah. At a state level, now, I would assume some of it is direct giving to these campaigns. Some of it is going to party organizations in these states. How, to, how have you found what is the most effective way to make sure these campaigns – uh, the battle to control these state legislatures is effective. Well, how do you do it? 
right? It's a great question. 50 different states, 50 different campaign finance laws, um, and uh, 50 different reporting mechanisms. Right. It's, it's not not easy entirely. So uh, we have a, a strong belief in working uh, as closely to candidates as the law allows. So okay. you know the the largest portion of our funding goes to direct candidate contributions. We make in the states we work in, we make maximum candidate contributions to enough candidates to flip to flip. We've endorsed sixty one candidates uh, along those five states. By the way, not one of them in a democratically held seat. Not okay. one of them an incumbent. So every one of them would have to outperform their pre predecessor in 2016 right. to win, because right. it's right. not about win percentage, it's about changing the direction of these legislatures. Now, let me ask you this, do you, okay, so so I guess there's, how do you, if, um, l- let's pick a state at, at Rand, let's take New York State, since obviously a state you know very well. Um, what is, if I have a PAC, how much can I give to candidate X? What's what's the rules? Uh, well, New York State is special. Okay. Um, the candidate contribution limits are very very high. So, um, for state senate, for example, you can contribute uh, over sixteen thousand dollars between primary and general election. Okay. Um, and New York has something called the LLC loophole, which lets limited liability companies be treated like individuals. So every LLC that so you I own, could spin up like twenty LLCs purely for okay. the purpose of of giving, and that would mean I could do. Well, I told you before, I'm not good at math. It would get me into six figures. Uh, could, yeah, exactly. And, and that's and that's legit. I can do, you can do that. Uh, anyway, yes, yes, you okay. can. And you know, there's a lot of a lot of folks with a lot of resources, especially in real estate, own a lot of LLCs anyway. So, you know, and, and that's and that's just a good example of the. But even if but even if I I were setting up LLCs like purely like you know, there's no company really operating through that LLC. I'm just using them as pass throughs to give to candidates. Yeah, as long as you don't communicate that to the candidate. Got it. Okay. Uh, and um, and New York also, like many states, and this is the kind of the second big tranche of our giving, we have four, um, has all sorts of exceptions for parties. So you can give even more to the uh, Democratic Senate Campaign Committee or Republican Senate Campaign Committee, right. uh, over $100,000. And okay. then those committees can coordinate fully with candidates. So here, here's a question I have, and, and this is something I was uh, thinking about a lot for a uh, another project I was working on one of and this in some ways goes to the problem that I think you're working on is that what the state party is varies tremendously from state to state you have some where it's just a a you know a legal shell that is kind of you know, quote unquote, owned by different people every cycle, that it has no real institutional existence. And then in other states, it's like a a robust political organization. And it must, your strategy must depend greatly on which of those is the case. Uh, It does. And in fact, maybe perversely, um, we are really interested in working with those places where the infrastructure is not as strong, where we can, by working with candidates directly and with caucuses directly, help build that infrastructure right. for the long term. So right. Arizona is a great example of a place uh, where there's been some great people working, but they just haven't had resources and focus at the state legislative level before this year. Right, right. We came in as a partner. We identified national organizations to help with capacity that were brought in. We uh, and ended up being um, you know, one of the couple toppest biggest givers to help Arizona build that in-state infrastructure. You know, there's a big movement, uh, uh, probably on both sides, but certainly on the Democratic side of the aisle, to work only independently. 
right? That way you don't need to compromise. You don't need to deal with those pesky candidates. Right. You right, don't need right. to deal with pesky parties. Right. And you can, you know, you can be the strategic genius that you are Do and you all want. by your own. Right, right. But, you know, the problem is, is, is it ends up being a little bit like a pop-up, right? You build the popcorn stands all over the place and then you shift them on to the next state next time. And right, right. We've seen that issue in states across the country, especially with state legislatures. Because when you combine that with the party's tendency to see state legislatures only as tools of federal power. Right. Meaning, oh, I know how important state legislatures are. They control gerrymandering. Right, right, I know how important right. they are. We have to win the Electoral College. Right. Not I know how important they are. The next Barack Obama may be elected. And if you care about wages, health care, the environment, water safety, right. civil rights, you need to focus on them. Because those two things don't happen, it really has languished. Now, okay, so is is the major... I'm sure it's a, it's a chicken and egg question to a great degree, but you see the the lack of party infrastructure in many states as really being driven by they just don't have money. So that how can you sustain or build infrastructure if there's no if there's no funding? Uh, a combination of money and it's hard to get the top tier talent working on state races. They're not as expensive. The best tactic in state races is candidates knocking on doors. Right. No consultant gets rich off of candidates knocking on doors. Right. And then right. the things that, you know, other than mail, and you see a lot of mail in these places because mm -hmm. that's a place mail consultants have focused. Right. None of the other things are comparative congressional races, partially because these races, even when they're fully funded, are so cheap. So the average so give us, cost. Yeah, give us a sense. What is what's the average raise? You know, so the average congressional race about a million and a half bucks. The average state senate race, let's say in Washington State, less than two hundred thousand dollars. In the states we're in, the cost, the entire cost of winning the legislative chamber, is cheaper than a single congressional race that's competitive in that state. Interesting. So you know, you're talking about a couple of million dollars. So what all is, in. What is your? What is your? How much? I, I would assume a lot of what you've been working on is going to big donors and basically making this case that it's not as sexy, but this is, you know, this is where you can have a big, big effect for the money that maybe you're going to blow on that, you know, on that race that is a sure thing either for the dem, you know. Have you had success? Has uh, that, how's that gone? Uh, we have had some success. You know, I think that one challenge is it, it, when you're basically saying, look, this is the most important race that no one's ever heard of and no one ever will. Right. Uh, right. That, that's right. a problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've, we're really happy with the success we've had, uh, both because there have been some, some generous individuals, but also the place we've had success that's really surprising and exciting is what's called giving circles. These are groups of people, overwhelmingly women, mm -hmm. who come together five or six to create a steering committee. They go out to their networks. They agree to raise a certain amount of money. They pool their networks and, and resources to do so. And then we let them choose which state they want to impact. And, and, and they're and they're you are encouraging or facilitating that process through your group, right? Exactly. So the contributions actually go to Future Now Fund. Okay. We make a commitment to increase our spending in states based on the amount raised. Right. So, those. so even though money's fungible, they can basically direct their money where they want it to go. And we're we're really transparent about that. They get to sort of adopt the state. And here's what's amazing. So Giving Circles collectively this year have raised over 1.3 million dollars for state legislative efforts. The median contribution to these giving circles, about $250. Right, so this over is really a small giving. I mean, over a thousand yeah. individual contributors. It's small giving, but it adds up. So in Michigan, giving circle dollars add up to being one of the top two or three spenders 
to take back the Michigan House this year. And so what it does is because the scale in states is smaller, individual large donors are welcome and, and, and uh, can have a big impact. But relatively smaller donors pooling their dollars can be the difference maker. Interesting. And so when you talk about different kinds of dollars in politics, I wish there were fewer, period. What we've seen historically at states is there's a lot on the Republican side, largely because the Koch network gets it about states and the right. Democratic Party doesn't. Right. And the solution is not narrow, heavily vested special interests. It's broad-based, issue-based, principles and values-based donors now, mo- who only want the outcome. Are most of those groups, those, those circles... Uh, people in Michigan who want to do it in Michigan, or is it kind of like people, you know, is it different states adopting each other? How's there, is there a pattern? So this year it's really grown organically okay. and, and, you know, sort of grown really, I would say, organically starting from my old Senate district, which is, um, you know, here here in New York City. But it's it's growing and expanding. So, you know, we have a number based in North Carolina focused on uh, North Carolina, where we're trying to break the supermajority in the House. We have uh, Michigan, some Michigan expats, born and raised Michiganders, kids, right. uh, kids at University of Michigan uh, who are who are doing it. So uh, we'd love it to grow. And so what we've, you know, what we do is we make it easy. So compliance is a serious issue. Mm-hmm. We take care of the compliance. The strategy of how to spend two candidates, two caucuses, but also where are the gaps? You know, it, it's a buzzword, but it is true that there's not enough spending on digital strategies mm-hmm. in state legislative races. Okay. And there's no consultant pushing it. So we try to because fill in those Because the money gaps. isn't big enough, basically. Exactly. Because it. it's all Got about it. buy, buy percentage. Right. Or get out the vote efforts. Evidence-based mail, which is the least profitable kind of mail to turn out the vote. So what we do is we work strategically within the state to make sure those dollars are not just, uh, don't just have an outsized influence because they're focused on state legislatures, but because they're focused on the most strategic possible spending. Right. But here, and here's what's, I mean, look, it surprised me. After spending nine years in our state legislature, telling folks for nine years that 100 people in a room can change the direction of a legislature and having zero people take me up on that, (laughs) the extent to which over 1,000 have been willing in this environment to do that even outside of their own state and not not just as a fundraising activity. These giving circle steering committees are more knowledgeable about the states they're working in than I am. They've developed relationships personal relationships, just person to person with some of the candidates. It's, it's, it's the extent to which it becomes about learning about states as a core part of our democracy right. is phenomenal. So that's so, okay. So my, that brings me to my next question, which is, you know, we have this, this extreme energization. It's not that exactly a word, but you know, everybody's Democrats across the country are energized. Um, you have there are there are lots of house races around the country right now where the candidate has like too almost too much money because people feel so deeply for all the reasons we understand blah 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 okay so because of that it's like the best it's it's the best time you could choose to um, to launch what you're what you're doing what about next year like how what is your plan for perpetuating this in cycles where the enthusiasm, the intensity is not as great as it is in 2018. Well, the reality s- still will be that uh, states are 
in many ways the most important part of our democracy, certainly the most important forgotten part of our democracy. And those who do care about politics can have a vastly outsized impact in states relative to any other kind of political engagement. I hope that the uh, positive experience of being involved at that grassroots level and of seeing not just the victory on election day, but the policy impact that comes out of that, the improvement in people's lives that comes out of that, will keep people hooked. And, you know, we are finding with our giving, you know, many people in our giving circles maybe raised money for Hillary or went to a Hillary fundraiser. Mm-hmm. They've said to me already ahead of this election cycle, and by the way, no wins guaranteed, even with right. the analysis we did, they're in for 2020. They're not going back to being a tiny part of a huge multi-billion dollar machine. Right. And so I, I do think there's something viral about it. Now, you know, something viral about a hard to explain, unglamorous, unsexy, um, you know, kind of uh, in the trenches of politics thing may become less appealing post this moment. Well, but it's also like what you're describing, though. I mean, what when we talk about a state party having no infrastructure, no kind of organizational existence beyond like a PO box or something. A lot of, you know, when we talk about building political infrastructure, it's never bridges, right? It's, it's, it fundamentally, it is about people being plugged into organizations, having, um, uh, you know, having, it's basically relationships and people kind of adopting as their thing, focusing on a particular kind of political activism. So what you're talking about, if you have, you know, you need to build groups of people who this is just what they do. Um, So that kind of is infrastructure and kind of building it, in a sense, building it is the way you perpetuate it, I guess. Uh, we, we believe it is. And, you know, it has the added benefit of being true, which which actually does help. A good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a precondition, but yeah, right. it doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, it helps. Uh, and actually, as, as, as Melissa Walker, who's one of these uh, amazing people who started one of our first giving circles and has helped um, uh, others form as well, said, you can't unlearn. Once you know, once you know this about states, and don't take my word for it, read. You know, a lot of folks uh, have eloquently written about this and been talking about this in the last two years. Once you see it, and you see kind of the shambles our democracy is in, and I believe it is in a shambles, you you see that it was first of all the extreme white right wing strategy in the seventies mm-hmm. take over state legislatures yep. and academia, yep. make crazy ideas seem rational and legitimate, yep. then turn them into the consensus, and it is. Again and again, what happens? You know, the Kavanaugh, it, so many members of our giving circles during the Kavanaugh confirmation process right. said, thank goodness we're already working on states because once it was clear he was going to be confirmed, mm-hmm. the fight wasn't lost, but goodness knows it moved to the states. Right, right, right. So when you when you talk about these giving circles, I mean, that sounds, I mean, when you have a... Uh, when you have a you know a Senate campaign, basically what a, what a, what any big campaign does is you get some very connected, re, you know at least fairly wealthy people. That's your kind of you know your your uh, your elite you know your pioneer you know you give them some some name and the idea is they will draw money out of their networks as bundlers, official or unofficial. So what you're talking about is is sort of a is that structure without a campaign to sort of bring it together is sort of bringing them they're they're creating themselves 
and and sort of adopting regions or states or or whatever is that is that basically right? Like the structure of it sounds broadly similar. Oh, uh, that's right. And there's just a few benefits, right? So when you're a candidate, and and I have been a number of times, you know, the bigger givers, you know, you you think about more mm-hmm. because they're mm-hmm. the bigger givers when you're coming to your fundraising. In this case, that's that's not necessary. So not one of these giving circles has a minimum contribution to be part of it. So when they vote on what state they're working on, it's equitable regardless of dollars. Right. So First, even if you just put in a small amount, you get a you get the same vote in the group as if you put in a larger amount. Is that okay? Exactly. And then the the second piece is as a campaign, it's really hard to kind of build group uh, communities outside of of the candidate and the, and the election day. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Just so much effort and focus is about the candidate and election day. Giving circles allow the community to form around the giving circle. Right. And so it, it is similar to campaign in the ways you describe, with the difference that it's not about a single event. Hey, I'm going to do a party at my house, and then we're going to move on, and right. you know, we'll be on the mailing list, and maybe we'll do a little canvassing at the end. It's really about an ongoing engagement with kind of a broader political uh, uh, movement or activity in a way that most campaigns have struggled with. You know, right. I, I think you actually see shades of it from Howard Dean House parties in 2004 mm-hmm. or some of the Obama organizing in 2008. But it's really hard to create outside of those national elections with right. the really charismatic leaders. And the giving circles themselves are kind of filling that void. Right. That, may, that makes perfect sense. I, I, saw a, I saw an article, I think it may have been on 538, I can't remember. It was basically about Act Blue, which I think all of us know about, you know, um, maybe indirectly by, you know, uh, it's not Act Blue sending all those emails to our inboxes, but, you know, we know what Act Blue is. And, and someone was making the point that the big sort of revolution of that is that you've got a infrastructure, you know, they've got your credit card. Right. In, a, in the good sense. Right. <laughs> they've, they've got it on file. You can click something. So it's not like, you know. You were you were really hyped up about Bernie Sanders, and you know you gave you gave Bernie's campaign your information. That way, you can kind of you know give him another ten bucks every few weeks or something like that. That you have that all consolidated through a um, you know through a money collecting system that is going to be there in 2018 and 2020 and 2022 and on and on and on. And that is you know it's it. It's funny because I'm I'm always skeptical of ideas, whether they are technical or organizational, that are going to be you know game changers. You know, people you, know, you get people come into politics new at it, and you're like, well, you know, why can't we just make all the, dem- the legislatures democratic? Well, there's 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 <laughs> you know kind of there are fundamental reasons why that's probably not realistic. Yet. There's a lot of evidence now that Act Blue, having been around for a number of cycles now, makes small giving a lot more effective for Democrats than it is for Republicans. And it is that just, you know, again, you they're going to email you, you know, you gave some money in 2016 and now everybody has, you know, kind of access to that. And it's all those things are a big, you know, these these technical things can can be sort of transformational. No question. And your Act Blue, I think, did a great job also of making people, even smaller givers, feel like they were part of a broader mm-hmm. ecosystem. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So that they could see themselves having an impact because of the collective action. Right. Right. And so it, it, there's no doubt about that. And we we think that giving circles 
kind of uh, are a way to extend that into state legislatures because there's a couple of extra steps required because of how how difficult those races um, can be. You know, I, I also think that it's important to think about whether it's Act Blue or giving circles that donors are not the same on both sides here. It's especially true at states, but it's true federally too. Donors on the right overwhelmingly, not entirely, but overwhelmingly, have a narrow financial interest related to their contribution. It is the, at the you mean in general or spe- especially at the state level? Well, I would argue at in general there's right. been some studies suggesting that at the state level absolutely. The right. power of the state over regulation, <clears throat> excuse me, it's the reason the Koch network broadly has invested so heavily at the state legislative level. It wasn't the Republican Party was such, were such geniuses about states and Democrats were idiots at all. Right. It's that there was a group of huge donors on the Republican side, the conservative side, who had a huge financial return on investment right. by taking over states. Democratic donors overwhelmingly don't have that. that. That creates the potential for something like Act Blue in exactly the way you describe, but it also creates an additional challenge at the state legislative level, which is when you're talking about people who are only doing it because they think it's the right thing to do, right. there tends to be a collection at the highest profile races. Right. Because right. people are doing it based on what they hear about, based mm-hmm. on what touches them mm-hmm. emotionally, based on what they hear on your podcast right, or right, right. read on the website. Well that's why like Beto O'Rourke has raised five hundred million dollars or whatever. And, that, and you know, and, and it's it's actually a positive sign, yeah, right? Because yeah. Ted Cruz isn't raising money from people who just believe in him as a as a person. Right. 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 And but but that creates a challenge when you get down to the state legislative level because you don't have the connection to a larger sort of zeitgeist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You you don't have the kind of individual and you don't have, and I said a couple of times, sort of the glamour that I think some of the larger Democratic givers are drawn to in presidential races. Right. And um, it's just something we need to be aware of. The responsibility among individual so-called small givers right. on the Democratic side is greater than on the Republican side because we don't have as many transactional givers right. kind of funding these things. Right. You know, it, it's it's interesting because historically, and this is this is um, this is something that has resurfaced at various points in American history. There's always there's a reason why. Whenever we get in a situation like we have right now, where there's great Republican dominance at the federal at the federal level, there is always talk, and rightly, and that's kind of and this is partly what you're doing, that well, we need like a democratic version of federalism, right, and kind of work do things at the state level, and that is true, and that is great, and we should do more of it. But there has been this pattern through American history, where progressives see the federal government as the as the sort of inherent champion of progressive change. And the big reason, and again, it's, it, it is striking how much this is um, a pattern that has shown up again and, you know, going back to the very, you know, to Absolutely. the to the 1830s, 1840s, that state governments are always more open to being dominated by powerful interests. And it's kind of the, the you know, it's the reason you're saying that, um, you know, the two or three big industries that operate in state X, they can put in the money and they just kind of own the, the state government. And that has all sorts of, and that's why you always have progressives, whether it's in people don't see, uh, uh, for very good reasons, don't see Andrew Jackson anymore as sort of like, you know, a, 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 a progressive 
but in their time in on on um in terms of uh basically the politics of money that was part of the jacksonian movement um in any case state governments have always been more ownable by organized money and that's fundamentally what you're talking about here um it's 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 fascinating. And by the way, there's a fascinating follow-on question, right? So your your point on Act Blue is is so right on. Does technology, right? So te- technology doesn't change things; it just allows new new ways of delivering the same mm-hmm. kind of result. Does technology lower the barrier for the non sort of uh, captured and just industries right. in states, right? Because you know, it's a, you know, New York is a problem. The commercial population and media center is New York City, capitals Albany, you know, Illinois, Chicago and Springfield, California, San Francisco and Los Angeles, Sacramento, and you know, Florida, South Florida and Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Uh, excuse me, in Tallahassee. Um uh and um I, 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 the, there's a question whether some of the technology just makes everything feel a little closer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and a little easier to watch it. Now of course the other thing is true, right? Is you lose local news and we could do a whole right. I'm sure you've done many conversations on this. Right. It, the lack of local news, of course, makes it harder. So that's a challenge in kind of the new technological landscape. Well, I would say, I don't, I don't know what your sense of this. Um, before the internet, obviously you've always had the uh, people who are, you know, consistent politi- political givers. They go to the dinners, they max out, give, you know, a couple, what is it, 2,500 now per, I know it's not exactly that, but more or less for, you know, I, mean, primary, I don't know anything about federal government. Yeah, so. primary and, 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 and general election. That has always existed. But say in 1985, if you were just kind of like a person who, you know, could could never give more than a few hundred dollars for, you know, for all campaigns together in a, in a cycle, it wasn't at all clear how you'd give to anybody. I mean, sure, if you like call up the campaign and you know where's the address, you could write them a check. But I, I do think you know I'm 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 always very skeptical about all sorts of you know political. The internet is transformative and stuff like this, but it makes a huge difference. It just makes a huge difference. Like right now, I mean, we're sort of um, in a in a misleading kind of bubble of our of our own since you know my inbox i just get you know it it is like half act blue you know pushes right now in in a campaign cycle but i mean if you want to if you want to give money say you're someone you know you make like 60 grand a year you live in state x you really feel strong you can find out pretty quickly who who wants to take your money well, that's that's exactly right. And it's, so it makes a big difference. It's about getting someone interested. Yeah. Once they're interested, I mean, this is what we found with the Grimmins circles. This is why they know things we don't know uh, after they get going. Right. You know, we know how to how to um, do campaign finance in the state, but they they read articles and send them to us. That would have been a lot more difficult. Yeah. And you know, and I think the the internet just makes us closer in that way. It makes it kind of a single market. Mm-hmm. It's the reason mm-hmm. people in one state can raise for another state in a way they couldn't. Right. Obviously, it has, as I said before, you know, it has the other problem of um, making it harder for local issues to surface into people's consciousness. Right. Which is why right. this is this is so important. So let, let, let's finish up on this. We're a week out. If people are like. Uh, you know, they still want to do more. Can people still like give now? I know legally they can, but is it if someone if someone decides today, like when they you know when they when they listen to your list and they're like ah Maine, you know, 
if they write a hundred dollar check, I mean, no one's probably writing checks, literal checks anymore. Does it still make a difference? Can that money still be put to use? Uh, it still can. Look, okay. I, I mean, there's so much late money in politics, and you always wish it were earlier. So I'd be right. lying if I said it's as useful today as it was before. So anyone out there with that hundred dollars, just remember next election cycle, do it ninety days right, earlier, right, right. hundred and eighty. But but it it still can be. But I get asked this a lot by people, not just by state. You know, they they uh, someone um, a reader we we reader mail is a huge thing for us as an organization. I read, um, we all read it. I respond to a lot of emails. Um, and someone was asking me just a couple days. I mean, it was like the weekend, so a little different day-wise, but more or less the same. And this woman was saying, kind of like, is it, am I just blowing my money now? If I give it, you know, am I, am I giving it that's just going to be rolled over into the next cycle? And I said, like, no, unless, unless you're giving to someone like, uh, you know, someone who's just a lock. No, they're going to spend it. They're going to find something to spend. It yeah, on. those dollars go out the door. And you know, it's these are these things about parity, right? One thing you're doing at the end is you're preventing someone from getting swamped, right? So, right. TV. We spend too much money on TV ads on our side and in general. But if you're vastly outspent on TV, that can destroy you even in a week. Right. If right. you know, I got to tell you, every campaign I've ever been on is counting its budget day by day, dollars in, canvassers out through the election night poll watchers. So, so it, let, it's real. Let me ask you, because this is something that um, just interests me. I've always wondered about this, that, um, excuse me, if, okay, so say like we're five days out, and five days out, you have to be making budgeting decisions about what gets spent on, on day three out, and money is still come. How do you how do you do that? How do you figure all that out? Well, like this may not encourage people to spend, but there's a little gambling that goes on too, right? So you know you see kind of how much how many dollars you've been raising in the week before, and right. you have to make a final decision on a mail piece or a get out the vote piece or the number of canvassers or poll watchers you'll have on election day. Around now, you actually right. have two, two two more days to do some of those things, and you have to project. And assume so. You know, some of what those dollars do is they fill in gaps that they, the promises the candidate already made and, and didn't have the money you for know, yet, which is meaningful. And I know, you know, no one has any sympathy for candidates and politicians uh, in this country. And I, and I understand why no one's forcing anyone to do it. And you know, you, you get a lot of a lot of respect um, and and power from being an elected official. That said, for someone running for office, especially against an incumbent or a first time, seat, first you know, time. Yeah. You know the the you are pushed to go into debt and take right. risk, right? And that's not that shouldn't be a requirement. First of all, the capacity to drive yourself into debt shouldn't be a requirement, or just the willingness right. for our elected officials and public officials. And some of what happens in the end is you're helping folks make good on promises they've had to make because and backed up with their own exactly. promises. Yeah, so that that is a component of it. Well, it, it, as 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 you say, I mean, it's a it's you know, if if Hillary's campaign, you know, ended in debt, you know, she can just do do the circuit a little and, you know, she can come up with that money really easily. And obviously she's there. The Clintons are now extremely wealthy and they could, you know, write a check themselves. But for state legislatures, you're talking about, I mean, not all state legislatures are even full time jobs. There's I, what New Hampshire is not. You get paid $200 a year. Yeah. So so you're talking about people who in, in many cases are middle class people. Um, we're, we're talking about, you know, there will be some Barack Obamas, but a lot of these people will just be state legislators. And that's 
you know, that's... And, and by the way, those people can be great state legislators. Those yeah, people who have yeah. the real kind, who don't have the ambition yeah. beyond that office. <clears throat> and, you know, the... the um, and I mean, I'm just saying, you know, point being, these are not people who are making a lot of money at this or even getting the sort of fame that maybe is sort of kind of like money. So, yeah, it, it doesn't make sense that someone should end up with like a $20,000 debt that they've got to pay off over the next five years. I mean, my wife and I certainly went to some parties where she asked me not to tell people what I did for embar- fear of embarrassment. Right. So, uh, yeah, there, uh, um, the, um, uh, you know, the, the cycle of being a state legislative candidate is you start with your friends and relatives and then you go and you briefly have a big army of volunteers and a campaign behind you if you get lucky. Right. And then you end after election day with your family and friends. Right. And so it, it, focus on these and dollars all the way up to the last second really do help. Um, in fact, it's, it's possible. It's not really a giving circle at this point. It's more just a little bit of a gathering of friends, but you can still go to our website and uh, set up just sort of a quick giving circle. If and you tell turn. us the information for the, for the site and the organization. Sure. It's futurenow.org, futurenow.org, and it's a place you can start giving circles, learn about state candidates, and the uh, PAC is Future Now Fund, and then kind of, you know, again, after Election Day is when the real work and the real challenge starts, and that's uh, Future Now and our kind of agenda to support legislators in their attempt to improve lives and 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 just in terms of like you know the day after being the big thing the day after you're talking about the 2020 election and those are the legislators who will redistrict congress the next in in it going into 2022 you're talking about the 2020 election i actually think the day after what you're talking about is governing well right. to to prove the point right. you know right <clears throat> The best way to get elected is you knock on a lot of people's doors and make promises to them. The best way to get reelected is you keep those promises. Right, right. And so, you know, the best politics is to govern well. Uh, the problem is, you know, you can't talk about governing in campaigns. But right. if you govern well, you don't have to right. because you're going to get reelected. Got it, got it, got it. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for your, your time. I, this is, I, again, I, I've been, uh, as I said at the outset, I through this whole cycle, I have known how big an issue the state legislative races uh, are, and yet, again, as I said, I can name like you know nine state legislators, and and like this is what I do full time, so that's pretty. Um, I'll try to make it like it's a problem for everybody, maybe it's a problem for me, but uh, you know, uh, the the building that institutional knowledge and being able to win. Let me, let me ask you this. Do you have a guess on the net gain across all these, le- you know, how, how many, what is your guess on how many state legislative seats Democrats will pick up across the country in seven days? Uh, so just to be clear, there's going to be some event between now and then that renders this moot. <laughs> right. So my reputation <laughs> right, cannot right, be. Right, right, uh, I think over 300. Okay. And I think there's a scenario that kind of 40 seat congressional scenario mm-hmm. looks like over 450. And that would be, broadly speaking, about making up about half the ground that was lost in the previous decade when there were like, what is it, 900 legislative seats that were lost? 900 and change between 900 and 1,000. Yeah, yeah, I think think a third, you know, a third to 40 to 45 percent. Wow. You know, look, and, you know, that world in which, 
you know, young people actually vote mm-hmm. at the rate that we hope they will right, and that right. they still really might. Would be, right. It would be a great thing. At that world, you're talking about over 500. That's a remote outcome. Right. But, you know, that's, right. the, that's, the, fif- that's the 55 or 60 right. congressional right. seat. Outcome. Right. I think it's possible. Look, I, I have to tell you, I think that early voting is misleading us this okay. year because I think young people aren't voting early, but I think will come out on election day and change the electorate fundamentally. I really do. Well, let's, we will... Uh, We'll see you in seven days. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's Absolutely. Great. So, uh, you know, that was, as you, as I think you could probably tell, the, I found that fascinating. There's the, it just the uh, the details of that. You know, it's, it's, it's different than federal politics because I think it's interesting that I don't think we... I don't think we named a candidate right. through that whole conversation. It's also conversation. a lot more people than you would imagine. It's 7,000 yeah, legislators. 7,000 people. 99 Seven. chambers yeah. because New Hampshire is... Uh, uh, which Nebraska. One? Nebraska, Nebraska sorry, is unicameral. Right. They just have one um, you know, one state. I don't know what they call it, state house or state right. whatever, but there's only one in that state. Um, but it, it's fascinating. And that kind of institution building is... Um, I, I just... You know, that just... Uh, fascinates me and and it gives me sort of you know uh kind of inspires me about small d democratic politics and what what is what is one of the really fascinating things about that to me is you know you can be a big player you know a big contributor in state legislative politics and you don't have to be a plutocrat you can, you know, you can really, especially if you get together with friends and sort of pool your money. Um, it's remarkable that I, I remember at one point Daniel said that uh, there are there are state legislatures that you can, you know, kind of fund kind of as much money as as needed, and it's less than a congressional race. Yeah. So that that is, um, it's a big deal, and 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 it's definitely something that. You know, everybody, frankly, whether you are Democrat or Republican or what your politics are, state governments are greatly overlooked because they're they're, you know, they're kind of all around us, but we don't they're not terribly visible. Um, And yet they just have huge, huge influence over over a lot of bread and butter things. And then also things that directly affect uh, federal politics, um, whether it's whether it's uh, you know um, voting laws, uh, gerrymandering stuff like that. So it's really a big deal. Anyway, I, I hope you um, hope you enjoyed the episode. I think we'll probably have uh, one more episode this week, just because you know with the election coming up, so much going on. And remember, uh, uh, the Josh Marshall Podcast is sponsored by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee, Grady'sColdBrew.com. With the promo code TPM, you get a discount when you when you start purchasing and when you start your um, your regular purchasing of Grady's Cold That's Brew right. Ice Coffee. It's really good stuff. Anyway, uh, we will talk to you later this week. Bye, Josh. Later. <laughs>